pray together. Father, we come this morning as we open Your Word, as always, asking, Lord, for Your Holy Spirit that dwells within all believers to open our hearts and our minds this morning to what You have to say for us. That we might not only receive it and hear it, but also, Lord, be able to act on it in our lives. Cause us to draw close to You this morning. And uh, we just confidently come to You and worship You God of all creation, our Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're... In Matthew chapter 8 this morning, we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at the miracles that Jesus did after the Sermon on the Mount, pointing to not only that He spoke with authority, but then He turned around and acted with authority, uh, healing the leper uh, actually by touching him. And I recall one of the phrases was so clear that stuck in my mind that was mentioned that morning that, 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 you know, the touch of leper was to become unclean. And so he who touched the leper, you know, didn't become unclean, but the leper became clean. And, uh, that is just, you know, the one of those things that just stays in your, in your, your heart, your mind, your thoughts of, of what authority Jesus had. And then healing a, a, a Gentile centurion's servant, who would also have been a Gentile, most likely, uh, and, and doing so uh, while proclaiming what an awesome faith this Gentile God-fearer, when you read it in context, you'll see that. He, he was a friend of the Jews. He built the synagogue. Uh, typically was known as, as a God-fearer. He wasn't a proselyte. Uh, meaning he didn't become a Jew, but still highly respected. How unusual. And Jesus speaks healing on his behalf. So he, Jesus is breaking down all of the situations that we would normally see in the Hebrew culture at that time as kind of like you don't touch a leper, you don't talk to a, a Gentile, you don't do things for the Roman soldiers. There are oppressors that are keeping us down. Uh, if we do anything to a Roman soldier or for a Roman soldier, we only do it because we are ordered to. And that would be like carrying his burden for a, a mile because the law says we have to. What did Jesus add to that, by the way? Do you recall? He says if you're asked to carry a, the burden a mile, you do it two miles. You see, Jesus is, is was setting us up for what was coming here in, in this this context of healings uh, and, and understanding them. And so we have those three amazing stories, of, uh, or two amazing stories of Jesus' intervention and healing. We come to a third here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And again, touching someone who is sick, you automatically now are unclean for a, um, uh, until you can go through all of the, the things that, the, that you're told to go through, both from the law and, and, and the, 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 the traditions. So he touched her, and again, the fever left her. Just as the leprosy left the man, Instantly, and he was clean. I, you, I think you can say the same thing. It left her, and now she was clean. He who should have become unclean now touched someone, and she became clean. She became healed. And, and what she did, it says that she was lying down, and, and, and the implication is, is that unable to move, in pain, distress, body distress, unable to move. And it says she rose up, and the implication here is that she kind of whew, <laughs> rose up and, and was ready to what? Serve Jesus. Now, you've got to understand her culture too. 
she is a woman uh, by, by culture and tradition of hospitality. This is something that she would naturally do, but she did it. There was, I think I want to make sure you understand, there was no lingering moment of recovery here. She didn't have to go and sit down for a while to recover. She was immediately ready from, from being sick and having to stay off her feet to being up and able to serve and, 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 and doing it uh, again because that would be what her, her culture and her home, her, her hospitality would call upon her to do. Of course, you know, Jesus, as he's, he's here in, 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 in Peter's home, he's in Capernaum, and, and the word goes out. Now, it says that evening they brought to him, Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out their spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fill what was uh, spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. We go back to, to John uh, just before the Sermon on the Mount and, and the verses about Jesus ministering in, in John 4.23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they became and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pain. They, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. His reputation is established. The Sermon on the Mount, the crowds followed him, and now he's in Capernaum. He's healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and it's now the evening. Probably the Sabbath is at this point over. And he, he's 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 uh, uh, they're bringing all of the sick to him. And it doesn't say he selectively did this one, that one, this one. It says he healed all of them. It didn't matter what the illness was or the demonic. And it's important to catch. It's going to get Matthew's going to really nail this to the wall later. But realizing that that the demonic, can you think when you think of demonic, the automatic thing is you think of Satan, the fall, and the evil. Uh, and and what we're seeing here is very clearly that Jesus has the authority over everything. There's nothing that can stand against His Word. He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Can you imagine what it might have been like to have been on the seaside of, of, of Galilee or Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee, or, or, or any area that, where something like this was happening. And then, Matthew includes the Scripture that he says was fulfilled by Jesus, uh, spoken by the prophet, He took our illness and bore our diseases. Briefly mentioned some things about that last week. This comes from Isaiah chapter 53. It's the chapter that Isaiah writes that is, is uh, noted as the, the chapter of the suffering servant. Um, and, and it says that he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. It didn't say he looked at he regarded, he observed, it said he took and he bore. That is important to grasp because, you know, I, I can come to you and pray for you and, and, uh, and, and I've actually been privileged to pray at times to see where people have been, been healed, been in groups where I've seen people healed. Um, I'm not going to get into all of that for the moment, but the, that I want you to understand that healing is alive and well in the kingdom of God today. Okay, uh, but but I I want you to be sure that 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 you catch this idea that I 
I, no pastor, no group of elders praying for you can turn around and be the one that says, I bore your illness. Or I have taken your disease upon me. Not in the context that is being put forth here. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. How? Well, this is one of those scriptures that if if you were a Hebrew and it was that much of it was made mention of. Remember, Matthew's primary audience that he's writing to are the Jewish people. They would look at this and say, oh, that rings a bell. It would be no different than when Jesus, in the, in the later in Matthew, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Another heavily used and quoted and taught scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And they would go, you know, and you would realize that there's a full picture of, of how that is to be incorporated and how you do that. And it goes on to talk about not only are you to do this, but then you're to teach your children the laws and the statutes that lead you to do this, you are to teach to them. By the way, if it's going to be effective teaching, meaning that they're going to believe you, it better be rooted in you first. This I do as I say, not as I do thing is, is I remember my stepdad's phrase, do as I say, not as I do. And because of his Master Sergeant military-style rule in bringing up boys, especially. And I was the only boy for the bulk of the time I lived at home. My son didn't come along, or my son, my brother didn't come along until just before I moved out. That, you know, there was an expectation, you know, and I remember... You know, you know, taking a bunch of chalk, and on the sidewalk in our house, you had you had your front yard, then there was a sidewalk, and then there was another apron with trees and grass and stuff like that before you get to the street. You know, and so this and it's this beautiful area that people love to walk on because as, as far as you could walk down this hill, not only could you you see these beautiful gardens that people put in on their 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 yards, but you could also see the ocean and the islands uh, off of Santa Barbara. And so it was just a neat place to walk. And I remember writing on the sidewalk all of the swear words I had ever heard. I think I was around seven or eight. My dad, my, my dad had only been my dad, my stepdad, for maybe a year. Now, my stepdad had a, a, a rule. You never use a swear word in front of a lady front of a woman. And when he was sober, he lived up to that. And uh, But there were times where all the words that were coming out of his mouth were cuss words at, at some point. If he was in the shop and, and working on a, a brake drum and one of the string, springs snapped or something, I can't repeat. I just and, and it was just boom, 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 boom. So one, and I didn't. I was raised by my grandmother, my mother, and my sister, up until I was seven years old. I didn't know these words, but I logged them and I wrote them down on the sidewalk. I remember my dad. I, you know, instead of having one of his normal discipline issues with me, he actually took me aside and 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 he explained every one of those words to me. Well, I just I couldn't believe what they meant and what they were and what they and I and and, and so then of course I had to scrub them off the sidewalk and and I I you know but I made the the excuse but you see, and that was where that idea not as I say uh, not as I do but as I say however we realize that what we do is really what sets the stage. Okay, so keep that in 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 just in perspective here. You know, uh, 
Jesus is, is, has come. He is leading the way. His teaching is showing who he is. His miracles are showing who he is. Uh, he's uh, now being quoted as fulfilling a prophetic picture. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And I'd like to read, you know, and it's coming down to how is this possible? Well, because this scripture has a fuller reference point in its context, and it will tell you. So just as they would have gone to Deuteronomy and be reminded of their parental responsibilities in teaching their children, they would have come to this scripture and looked at it and, and, and thought about it as well. And I have to tell you that I don't believe they could fully understand this until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But still the idea was there, and we'll see now in knowing what we know, how this would be possible that Jesus could take upon him our, our, our illnesses and, 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 and could be told that he bore our, our illnesses and our, and, our, and our diseases. Chapter 53, verse 1 of, of Isaiah. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. By the way, isn't that an interesting picture to describe uh, Christ? Have you thought about it? There was nothing in particular to look at him and, and, and turn around and say he's exceptional. <laughs> you know, you know, he, wasn't, he, 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 he was a typical Semitic Hebrew man. He was, and, and then it goes on to say what the things that happened. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And now the verse that was quoted, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, our illnesses and, 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 and our weaknesses, uh, diseases. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of, by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. When we start to see that he bore all of these things, we're saying on him, all that is the result of sin was put on him. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. This is no insignificant statement here. He took our illnesses. He bore our diseases. How? By putting them on himself and taking them to the cross. It will go on and talk about the, 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 the things that happened to him at the cross. And finally, it talks about the fact that he should have been buried with criminals and yet in a, in a, in a, in a rich man's grave he was buried. Isn't that, I, I, you see that prophetic picture fulfilled with Joseph of Arimathea taking, along with others, taking Christ off the cross and burying him in Joseph's brand new tomb. And Joseph of Arimathea being a wealthy man. I guess what I want to say is, is, is that you're sure, and be sure that you see this, is that uh, healing is in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is there. there. Now, there are people that take that out of a context and turn around and say, because you are a Christian, therefore you should be healed. I'm going to suggest to you that, that healing isn't a, a guaranteed benefit of living in the, David, the, 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 the Adamic flesh that we live in. There's no guarantee that you're going to be healed. Can you be? Is it possible that God would heal you? Absolutely. Is it wrong to ask God to heal? No, it is not. So don't. Jesus went to the cross to bring a defeat of disease and demonic and all of this. But there is a point in time where this ultimately comes to a head and a conclusion on the day of the Lord, where History ends and eternity begins 
kingdom of God becomes a face-to-face reality for all who believe and the rapture, all that goes with that. I'm not, you know, I, I don't get into a lot of t- detail about whether you are a pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-millennial, non-millennial. You know, those things aren't the issue. The issue is Christ has said he's coming again and he will. And, and, and so, so uh, if, if you're, if you're pointed to pre, pre-trib and, 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 and all that, you're, you, know, you look around at the way things are in the world today in the Middle East, you, you might be getting excited. Uh, but, but the reality is, is that these things have happened before and God has tarried. Why, by the way, why is he waiting? Why does God wait? You know the answer. Come on. Until the last person that is to be saved is saved. Okay? So, in the meantime, we wait. And we wait with a confidence that he is coming again. That, but we don't get, you know, as a Christian, we are guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. He's the seal to this. He's the guarantee to this. We have new bodies coming. We have an eternal home in heaven. We are resting in that promise now. What is it, what is it we are told about the kingdom of God at that point in time? No sorrow, no suffering, no darkness, no sin, no tears. All of those things will be gone. We're looking to that day. But as long as we are in this world that is a fallen world, as long as we are still in the process of building the church, we run into the reality that we live in fallen flesh. And you know the interesting thing is that even if you are healed of a disease, and even if God allows you to live three score and ten and then some, I, I didn't mean to look at anybody in particular there. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that you're still going to age, your body is still going to decline, your eyesight still might go in decline, and ultimately we're going to what? We're going to die. The thing about us is that we have, because of the promise we have and the confidence we have in Christ, the sting of that has been removed because it has no hold over us anymore. Do I want to die? Am I anxious to die? I I, I, I actually, I think sometimes I'm a paradox because I say, come soon, Lord Jesus. But I don't necessarily mean for him, for me personally. (laughs) Uh, You but, but that reality of, of, you know, I've had two heart surgeries. Uh, I, I take medication every day uh, that keeps my heart in rhythm and another one that keeps stuff from building up on my artificial heart valve so that I won't have a, a stroke and all these kinds of things that I do. So obviously I'm fighting to stay and keep this body going. And I, and I don't find a contradiction there in the sense that, that I believe that that's something that God has put in us. And as long as I'm here, though... I need to have that attitude that Paul has, to live as Christ. Die, I win. The worst thing the world can do is, is, is kill me, and I win. But in the meantime, to live is for Christ. And, and you're going to see that come through here in these, in these scriptures. So, coming back to Isaiah, Jesus, he bore our sins. He, he bore evil. He, he took it upon himself. And at a point on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Go to Psalm 22. A powerful picture of Jesus looking down from the cross. And you see what he sees. And you, for a, a sense of as much as possible, you, get to, you, you, you can feel and, 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 and empathize with what's going on for him. He sees them gambling for his clothes at the foot of the cross. It's there in Psalm 22. All of this, by the way, Jesus knows is coming as he's doing the things that he's doing. In Matthew chapter 8, we move on to a very interesting passage in verse 18 to 22. You've got the crowd. Don't forget to continue. And, and it's almost like it's hard to, to, to some. Maybe it's not. Some of you have maybe been to a concert 
or something where you've gone forward to be as close as you can possibly get, and then something happens within the framework of the, uh, the music or whatever, and everybody gets excited, and they all stand, and they're pushing forward. And you realize that you have nowhere to go, and you're feeling pressured and pushed. Jesus experienced that. At one point, he actually gets in a boat and goes out so that he can get out of that pressure and still teach and, 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 and minister. So I, I have this feeling that, that, that this is almost like what's happening here. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave order, or, 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 orders to go over to the other side. Well, where is he? Is it the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum? He's, he's saying, hey, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. We, we're, we're, we can't continue to minister here under these circumstances, basically. And, and, and yet, in the midst of that, he's saying, let's go over. I don't know that he said it you know, to, so quietly. He probably had to say it somewhat loud. But he was probably talking to Peter or, or James or John. They might have had their boats right there. But, but you know, he says it loud enough that someone else hears. And, and, and it happens to be a scribe. So let's read through this. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go uh, first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. <laughs> These are hard verses to figure out. Well, um, and there's a lot of opinions in, the, in some of the details, but a general agreement. The, the, what you have here is, is, is first off, a, 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 a scribe who was keenly aware of what Jesus just said, and he says, I'll follow you. If you're going across the sea, I'm going across the sea. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, never falling short of knowing the inner man uh, that, that's around him, you, know, you recall when they were going to try to make him a king. He says, oh, I know what's in men's hearts. <laughs> you know, this, is a, this, this isn't going to happen. Uh, the idea is, is that here, this guy is making a very immediate, quick decision. Some commentators said he would make a, a hasty or a rash decision. I'm not sure that I would go that far. But he's heard Jesus, he's seen what he's doing, and, and he's, he's on board with what Jesus is doing. I believe that. The interesting thing is who he is. He's a scribe. He's the same guys who have been taunting Jesus, asking him questions, putting him on the spot, and ultimately conspiring with the Pharisees and others to how we will put him to death because of all that he's doing. This is a scribe who is breaking ranks. Not only is he breaking ranks, but he did it audibly in a forced crowd, and Jesus heard him. I don't know if he was one man away, two men away, standing at his side. I don't know, but he said it, and, and the implication is, is that he said it, you know, Jesus heard it, and, and he turns and he stops. Now, as soon as, he, as Jesus stops and opens his mouth, you know, uh, what it was the old commercial, Hutton, E.F. Hutton speaks, everything goes quiet, you know, you know, as much as the near people around him. And he says this kind of a crazy phrase. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What is he saying to this man? Basically, and I believe most commentators stand at this point with the same idea, you haven't counted the cost yet. You don't know what you're saying. And so he basically puts it in a... In a, in a, a, a Kind of a, a picture. You know, foxes have a hole, and and and, and fox have, you know, you, if if you you know, they dig out their little hole in their little spot or wherever they are. It's it's normally ideal for the fox. You know, he's got a place to go. Birds build in the nest, and they build it just right. They've got a place to go. But the Son of Man does not have this. 
I want to be really careful here. First off, you need to understand the term son of man. I'm not going to go into a sermon on it this morning, but you can read in, 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 in Daniel chapter uh, 7, verses 13 and 14 about it. Uh, you can also go back, uh, go ahead into, in, in Matthew where Jesus will say, there's a point in time where you will see the son of man returning in the clouds. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's making this picture. The son of man is a term of the Messiah. Okay? And so he's, he's making a claim there. But, but that's all the more amazing then. He's saying, I, here you are, you're saying you're going to follow me, and I'm telling you, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I am the Son of Man, and I have no home. Are you really prepared to follow me? Some guy went in, a couple of guys went in, as you look this up, it went into the idea of, you know, Jesus was homeless and, and all this kind of stuff. You know, the the picture that Jesus is drawing for us here is that are you ready to give up everything? Jesus had made that decision when he emptied himself and became a man. A plan before the foundation of the world, he had made his decision to empty himself and become a man. He was the Word become flesh and dwelling among us. But he didn't have a palace. He didn't have a, 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 his own home. Did he have a place to go and sleep at night? Yeah, yeah, I, well, we know he's at Peter's house. Uh, I'm assuming that he was allowed to stay there for the night. The, the real issue for us to draw here is, he says, are you prepared to put everything on the line to follow me? You're quick to jump in, but have you thought about it? Now, this is so contrary, I have to even say somewhat to the way I think, but it's certainly contrary to a lot of uh, our, our ideas about you know, evangelism and crusades and revivals and stuff today. If we have a politician or a rock star who says, I just, I'm ready. I'm following Jesus. Man, we jump on that. We bring it to the forefront. I imagine today it would be on Facebook and Twitter and all of these other things within seconds. You know, people, it would probably be, oh, uh, Joe so and so or, 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 uh, uh, you know, accepted the, the, the Lord and you'd be sitting there. I can remember even in, as as a, a younger Christian, and and I, you know, at various times, various rock singers getting on board with the Christian rock movement, and uh, some of them were in and in it for the long haul. Others were in and out. The majority were in and out. But it's interesting what we did with them while they were there. They managed to produce two albums, make a, at least six videos. And 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 there was a lot of exchange of, of resources and money, <laughs> uh, and 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 lines to go see them and hear them, but but and, and so I'm thinking here's the this is a scribe man Jesus you're take him, he says I'll go take him, use him say hey look a scribe, you know. Yeah, we, he's already got the Old Testament stuff down pretty good. He's, he may have even copied some of it himself. Uh, you know, we you know he, I, we don't we don't have to do nearly as much prep to to, to get him ready to teach. Jesus says, "If you counted the cost," Jesus doesn't say to him, "No, don't don't," and we don't and we don't have a follow up to no. But he doesn't say no. He just says, "Have you counted the cost?" Another one comes along, and it says, another of the disciples, which means the scribe was likely a follower of Jesus. Now, the term is being used loosely here, meaning people who are following and listening to Jesus. And there was no small number of people, as we've picked together from chapter 4 and on through to where we are, literally thousands of people following around, hearing, listening to and coming to Jesus. But he says, 
while the scribe is on this, it's almost like the scribe is over here saying, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. This, this other disciple speaks up and says, well, I'll follow you, but I've got some things I've got to take care of first. I need to bury my dad. There's, that's not an insignificant thing. And it's very clear where Jesus stands on the idea of taking care of your parents. When the scribes come up with a word that says, I can set everything that I have aside and use it for ministry and therefore don't have to take care of my parents, he says, you have missed the boat. You are hypocrites. You are disobedient to the, to the law of God. You are responsible to take care of your parents. We don't know, normally think of that the, the commandment to honor your mother and your father as one that is a lifetime commitment. So this man's statement is 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 not something that you will you can just look at and and dismiss as well. He's 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 reluctant. That's one of the the phrases. The first one was rash. This one's reluctant. There was a third R in that guy's sermon that I don't remember what it was. And 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 so we have this this picture of of Jesus saying uh, very clearly that that you know uh, follow me. Leave the dead to bury. Their own dead. Then the implication is leave the spiritual dead to bury, or the spiritual dead to bury the dead. In other words, those that don't know the Lord. In other words, another picture of there is an order of things that we need to look at in reference to the kingdom of God and being a follower of Jesus. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this other than in the reality that God is first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your energy. And then others. And then yourself. You've heard me say it many times. The I'm third principle. God is first. The other person is second. I'm third. In our marriage relationship, God is first. My spouse, my wife, in my case, my wife is second, and I am third. God is first in all things. And to seek after Jesus actually is being stated here as a very definitive, clear picture. It's pretty much all or nothing. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, you've made a, 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 a mindset that says, I surrender all. Not 10%, not 20%, not 40%. It's an interesting thing. We, we live in a, in a world today where we go and we... we, we I, I, I'm, I don't want to be making a picture that, that's not taking regard to the seriousness of what we're saying, but kind of like if you go for a job interview and they lay out, well, here's, here's what's expected of you, you know, and, and you're basically looking about you know, all the different things that would be expected about the particular job you're applying for. You're into the work and you're there, there for a while and someone comes up and says, we need you to come over here and do this. And you look at your driver's screen and say, oh, that's not in my pay grade. <laughs> or that's, the, that's not my job. Uh, this is my job over here. Uh, this is what I signed up for, this part over here. And I think in some cases we, we, we tend to look at it and say, this is, this is what I have done. This is, I'm signed up to this part. I agree, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he is the only Son of God. I believe that this is His Word, and therefore I'm in. But in the, you know, as far as making the commitment to, to putting more time into it right now, I've got to do this first. I think that's kind of the picture we have here. And very, in fact, some commentators made a very clear point about this guy. The way it's put together is, and, and there was an idiom, a colloquialism at the time, was basically to say, uh, if you, were, you made a statement, I wait until my father's dead, it doesn't mean your father has died. Or it doesn't say, I, I need wait until I bury my father. It doesn't mean he's died. It, it means my, my dad is alive, and I'm the oldest son, and I am responsible for these certain things to take care of. And when that's all done, and I've met all those earthly responsibilities I have, then I'll come back and follow you, Jesus. And I'll make the kind of commitment you're looking for. 
And Jesus is saying that's not how it works. If you are going to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're not only going to accept Him as Savior, you are going to receive Him as Lord. He's not one or the other or either or or whatever. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us. And so, we don't determine... And, 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 I, and I kind of wrote down here, what, who, who determines the terms of, of what a disciple or a follower or a believer is? And in some churches, it's a creed. If I say the, the right words, then I must be a believer. Uh, others, uh, it has to do with, some, with tradition, of how, you know, some kind of a tradition of the way the church does things. I can recall uh, in one church, and, and I those, you know, my naivety at the time that I was getting into the ministry, and I didn't know all of the unwritten rules of different things. And uh, there were some groups, and sometimes groups within groups, that had opinions about things as to the order of things that have to be done in order for somebody to be saved. And one group that where I was ministering at this point in time was the idea of water salvationists. Until you're baptized, you, you, you ain't saved. The confession is not enough. You need to be dunked. All there is to it. And if you died in an airplane crash in between the time you said yes to the Lord and got baptized, you would not go to heaven. At that point, you would want to become a Catholic or wish you had been a Catholic because then at least you'd have had purgatory. And I... Didn't understand, I, I didn't know that that was even part of it. It was never spoken. It was never written. It was never put in any place that I'd seen. But, but anyway, uh, I had the privilege of, of, of leading a, a, a young couple to the Lord. And uh, it was kind of like, like uh, Philip must have felt like with, with, with the Ethiopian. You know, they said, well, don't we need to be baptized? <laughs> I said, well, there's no, you know, you're saved. You know, well, but what's to keep us from going on and, and taking the, the, this next step? We want to make that commitment so that everybody knows we're serious about this. So we talked about it for a while, and they said, you know, this was like a Monday. And so on, on a Thursday, we agreed to get together, and I filled up the baptistry in the church, and we had people that came, all of them, we were in shorts, so we weren't in any kind of church attire. And and I uh, had a service, and I sat on the steps of the, the, the like, would be up here, the baptistry was behind. And and I had an opportunity to talk to about 40 friends and family members who were not churchgoers about the gospel, about what was happening that day, about being baptized, was the idea of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and making that commitment, I'm walking with you, Lord, and, and making it to everybody to see, and all this. And I... Have to tell you, I was I was really thrilled. At the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I looked back and I said, "Wow, what an awesome day this has been." And Saturday, I get a phone call. What happened in the sanctuary Thursday? Now I had told the pastor, so he obviously wasn't covering for me. Um, and 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 the, the idea was that I told him, I said, "Well, that, that, oh, you have got it all out of order." They have to come forward first, make a confession in a public worship service, and then get baptized. And I thought, the poor Ethiopian never made it. There's different people that have different ways of looking at traditions and things. What Jesus is basically saying is that it's, it's, it's right at this point. It's either you are or you aren't. And if you say yes, what we're saying yes to is a mindset that says you alone are Lord and in control. If you change the direction halfway through, I will follow. If you change the direction and we end up going, Kathy, I'm sorry, but to where there's snakes and stuff on the ground, we go. <laughs> Kathy, Kathy says, I never, I never pray that statement. Lord, wherever you send me, I'll go. No. <laughs> uh, 
the the idea is is that we are ready to be what God wants us to be where we are or where he sends us. We sing about it. We talk about it. We read about it. That's what he's asking. And so that's really all that he's saying here is he says, you know, your home isn't here. Just like my home isn't here. What are we? If we are believers in Jesus Christ and we've said yes to him, we are pilgrims here. We don't have our home here anymore. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We have a a heavenly home and a dwelling place that we're moving towards. We are in transit. We are uh, moving. We we, we are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a lot of things. But this is all moving towards a culmination over here, in a sense, at the point in time of the end of history and the beginning of eternity. And and we're a part of that. Uh, and, And so, as a result... If, if we rest with that commitment, and that commitment is sincere, it, 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 and it, we realize then that, that what we have is amazing. And again, Jesus doesn't say no to this guy. He's just saying, are you, 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 are you ready to make this commitment? Have you counted the cost? You can't say what if. And and think about uh, you know what if this comes up first? Well, then I'll have to take care of that. Yeah, uh, I, I I I I can't equate it to like what happens to me. You know, you know, plumbing. I got an old house. I bought an old house because I could afford it. I thought, um, and 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 I fixed a, a pipe or read you know. Half of them underneath my house is copper. The other half is still galvanized. Some of it's shrinking inside. Um, but 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 still looking looking at it, I go and I say, oh, this this part needs to be replaced and fixed. And I, ah, there, turn on the water pressure. No leaks. I'm so thankful. And I but I can hear water running. And this one long pipe that I've just hooked this thing to has twisted just enough to break the old steel on. Pipe down here, back to the hardware store, and it's a chain of events. I can't do this until I do this, or do this, or do this. And sometimes there's a smart person that comes along and looks at something, and 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 sometimes electricians do this too. Uh, they, they they look at it and say, first you have to do this, and then this, and this, and this, and this. Yeah, there's an order to things, and uh, Jesus is saying there's an order to these things. You don't. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are in the midst of this thing. First things first. You accept me and say, I will follow. And whatever comes after that, we rest with the confidence that he's not letting go of us. We're resting in his grace and his mercy. He makes it very clear. And he uses Paul to write, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, uh, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of, of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons of whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Jesus made that very clear to his disciples. He says, they will come after me and they will come after you. There will be consequences. People of this world are not going to like what they see in you because it comes from me. Are you to still that's what he's asking and I think that that sometimes we need to just it, it's it's to remind ourselves the commitment that we have made there are times where I, I feel like I, I could say you know uh, I almost feel like I sometimes the enthusiasm of a, of a younger Christian full of gusto, and I think of back of myself, and I think of the people around me. They used to say, oh, you'll calm down. 
You'll settle in. You'll get into the flow. And I'm thinking, please, God, let that not ever come from my mouth. There's a, there, there's a, a way of doing things that I'm, I'm locked into because of my age and, and, and what traditions and, and stuff. Yeah, but, but the other side of it is Jesus first in all things. I wrote down here, you know, uh, who determines, I just mentioned this a second ago, who determines the terms of discipleship and flower, you know, creed, tradition, you, me, no. And, and, and I put it so I would recall it for me. No, you silly boy. I can call myself a boy. Okay, you silly boy. Jesus set the standard. What standard did he set? He came giving holding nothing back to save us. There's nothing held back. All of the resources of heaven that were necessary to bring a man to salvation were put into place through Jesus Christ. There is, however, if you choose to follow, a narrow path that begins through a narrow it's a path of separation. Once you identify that you are a Christian, you are separate from the rest of the world. You can look at the other path. At some point, you must be able to see it because you see, gosh, there's all sorts of people on it. And look how big the gate is. But this is, this is the one I've chosen. God has opened my eyes to who he is. I receive him as my Savior. And this is who I am. I'm not what I was. Over and over and over, Paul tells me, you're not what you were. This is who you are now. Are you still battling the flesh of who you were? Yes. This is who I am on an eternal basis. I am a child of God, an heir of the kingdom. I am a a royal priesthood, member of the royal priesthood, and, and I am joint heirs with Jesus, and I have a heavenly home and a resurrected body, and at some point, what is mortal will die, and I will put on life. All of this brings us to communion. Jesus, Son of God, God in the flesh, the Word made flesh, dwelling among us, had the full and complete, no turning back commitment to the plan of salvation. He even makes it clear that even as the Son of God Word made flesh dwelt among us. Even at that point, there was not a question, but a desire nonetheless. He looked ahead the night that he was arrested, day before the cross, and he said, if the cup could be removed. If if that were a possibility, that, that would be the way I'd lean, you know. But he says, not my will, but thine will be done. We're all in that same position in that sense. When things are tough, when things are hard, when it's hard to follow Christ, the question is, is not whether I will or not, but Lord, I wish this cup wasn't in front of me, but your will be done. Because Jesus did that for us. We can stand here today and say thank you for saving us, and we rest in his complete words it is finished. Ask the ushers to come forward to pass out the, the communion. Hold it until we've all been served, please, and we'll share it together. Worship team, please.
Perfect song for us here. After this message, I will offer before the Lord a song with everything that I have in me. I will offer everything that is in me. And you know, the interesting thing is, is it has nothing to do with comparing you to someone else. It's not you know, looking at someone else and saying, oh, I don't have enough. I didn't do enough. It's you and the Lord. And I believe with all my heart, God gives you the confidence that you know who you are. The Spirit witnesses who you are in a relationship with Him. You know that because He is there, you are there. He did it becoming in the flesh, allowing His flesh to be crucified at the supper of the there with the disciples on the night of his arrest. He had taken the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He passed it to the disciples. This is my body. Broken for you. He asked us as often as we would share this bread, that we would do it in memory. To the meal, he took the cup of wine. And in holding it up to them, gave it a symbology that, that became something that would rest with us until he comes again. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Purchase the cup. 
He asked us as often as we would drink it, we'd do it. Father God, we agree with the song we just sang. You are holy. You alone are holy. You alone are worthy. You are God. You are holy. Cause us to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. All our strength. Train us up, Lord, in the things that we need that we can not only be committed to you in that spiritual context of, of desiring it, but Lord, wanting it and working on it and, and seeing it in your word and reading your word and in prayer and in our interactions with each other and those around us and being bold enough to share it with others that don't know. We thank you that we can rest in your mercy and your grace permanently. There's nothing created that can separate us from you. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We worship you in Jesus' name. Would you stand?